thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome. Thank you. Everyone give it up for Nat. Good job, good job, good job. Hey, welcome. If you guys can be seated, I am so excited to share this morning and what an amazing worship set. Thanks for being here so much. And hey, my name's Rachel, and if I haven't got the opportunity to meet you yet, uh, that's my name. My name's Rachel. Hello, I'm from Indiana, originally on a road called Possum Ridge, and now here I am. And so I am married, that's a true story, I am married to this wonderful human being over there, Nathan Dorinsky, you should know that about me. I uh, work at a hospital in town, like you said, a few days a week, and I work at a local university in town a few other days of the week, and I get the honor of serving on this team, which I am so honored to serve here. And it's one of my greatest passions about what God's doing in our community, what he's done in my own life through all of you and what he continues to do that only he can do. And I also think that it's probably really important to recognize that I do have three children and they all are in fact alive despite the amount of chicken nuggets that I fed them throughout their short lifetimes. And so there's hope if you've eaten a lot of hormones, they're still alive and kicking. So Anyways, one of my favorite things to do is share my faith, and I really mean that. I think it's something that the Lord has stirred in me that I never really thought was always possible, but that's, it's um, something that's in my heart. And as we're in this series, Homecoming, I again want to present to you a story of someone who God, who Jesus encounters tangibly, and he fills her because she's empty, and he encounters her. She goes back to tell people about what he's done and who this person is, and she leads a whole multitude with her, and that's the woman at the well. And I love this story because, so many things, but because cultural tradition said that he couldn't go and talk to her, and he did it anyways. And I love that she was a Samaritan, and he spoke to her anyways. I love so many things about it. I love in this story that he goes out of his way to find the one, just like he does with you and I, that he meets her when she's all alone, and he encounters her in a real way. I love this story because cultural tradition said, especially for a Jewish man, that he could not talk to a woman outside of familial bounds, that it was outside of his circle. That's how we would say it. And he went in and talked to her anyways. And I love that yet again in this text that he so caringly gives us in his Bible, in his written word that he reminds us yet again the power and the importance of sharing our faith, and he teaches us how to do it. And so I also believe that if I have one message to say to you today from him, it's this, is that despite the level of chaos that we find our world in, either our personal worlds or definitely the world at large, could you agree, that there is chaos in this story, and he is reminding us right here in this room and online to share our faith anyways. Because despite what the world may tell you, and despite what even our feelings tell us, that it is sowing time, 
and it is planting time, and it is watering time. God can do all that at once, and it is harvest time. And there are people that are so willing to hear the gospel message because the power is not in us. The power is in the gospel itself. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all those who believe. And so before you disqualify yourself right off the top as we talk about sharing our faith, I want you to know that the power is actually in the gospel and has nothing to do with us, really. And so let's pick it up in John 4, verses 4 through 30. We're going to read the whole 26 verses. I am a big fan of letting the Word of God speak for itself. It's living and active, and it can do, He can do whatever He wants. And so we're going to read the whole thing, but pay attention because God has a message for you in this. And so here we go John 4, verses 4. We're going to go all the way to 30. It says, Now He had to go through Samaria. So He came to a town in Samaria called Sachar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Remember that. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw from and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? That's kind of gross. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Because Jesus always loves to reveal himself. 
Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. After this, the story goes on and I don't have time, unfortunately, to go into the whole thing. We could lead a whole small group on this and I invite you, if you wanna lead a small group on this, then do so, you can register online. And I invite you to do that. But there is a really important context that you should know is this is the longest face-to-face encounter that is in our Bibles where Jesus interacted with someone on this level. And I think that's important. And I think there's two obvious reasons. The first really obvious one is because she was a woman. And we have a lot of words and a lot of logic and we wanna get the details right. And there's a lot of interaction and clarification when you talk with us. It is one of our gifts. We make the word world a clearer place. And so that's the first one. But the second one is this. I think he is giving us and preserving it to us in our own Bibles, whether on our phone or in the traditional book form, that he is sharing with us the importance of what it is like to encounter someone and share our faith. What it is like where he can actually teach us through this passage how to do that. And it is a very long process in this text and that's how it works in our lives. And while so many read the story and concentrate on the woman's sin, that Jesus has always been the God who calls all sinners to him, of which we are one, and for us to point other people to him. And so as a reminder, right off the bat this morning, more the key to knowing, the key to sharing our faith and really presenting the good news of the gospel, that's what it means, good news, is more than singing it and more than knowing it and more than reading it is actually sharing it. And don't let anyone convince you of another way. And so there's a few things I wanna highlight in this story. And the first one is this, is there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of conflict that we're gonna go through. The first part of that is the fact, we already read it right here in this story, is that Jews and Samaritans spent about 500 years as religious enemies. And what does Jesus do? He walks right in to a conflict. And I wonder where we are conflicted about sharing our faith. I wonder where we are saying, no, 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 could I ever share with them or her or in that situation or in that workplace because of policies or, or this other environment because they aren't used to it. And I wonder who we are limiting from hearing the message, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we are surrounded by conflict and we ourselves are conflicted. You see, Jesus needed to get a message to Samaria. It says right at the very beginning we read, he had to go to Samaria. That's in your Bible. Look, look at it. He had to go there because he knew that if he encountered her, if he encountered the one, then she was the key to unlocking all of Samaria. And although she was a Samaritan, he went anyways out of conflict. He went right into it. Although she was a woman, and again, Jewish men especially did not talk to women outside their familial bounds. He spoke to her anyways. And although she was traveling there at noon, likely when no one else was there to draw water, historically that was not the custom, they went early in the morning. She was there at noon, either seeking to be by herself because of a couple reasons. She was likely an outcast, either because she was in prostitution or because she was barren. And that's why she had so many husbands. Either scenario, she was all alone and she was an outcast. And he He spoke to her anyways. He went after her, the one anyways. 
And the conflict really just keeps on going because every detail in the word of God that are in our Bibles as such a gift to us, every single detail is important, every single one. And you have a conflict right off the bat when you recognize that the well in the natural is what Jesus is in the spirit. You have living water, God come down, God sent down in Jesus who is coming and he is speaking to her at a well, at a well. You have the rock of ages sitting on a rock. You have living water himself once again like he did in creation where his spirit hovered over the waters. You have Jesus sitting over again a body of water about to speak life in her and turn the light on to reveal who he really is just like he did at the beginning of time. And in verse seven, he shows us the power of a question. Another really big conflict because I don't know about you, He's an all-powerful God, and he's asking her a question. He's saying, will you give me a drink? That's conflicted. Why is he asking someone who he created a question? When God asks a question, I think we should pay attention. He's actually trying to teach us something. And all the while knowing she was thirsty for literal water, right? That's why she was there. All the while knowing she had a deep emptiness and longing inside of her that he was going to fill. And all the while showing us that he was thirsty, that he was weary, but he was on a mission to reach the Samaritan people, to reach the souls of Samaria. That's why he was there. And he is thirsty to use us right now and right here. Are we asking people the power of a question ourselves? Or when we share our faith, are we giving information to them to correct them or convince them? Or are we asking them questions to reveal in them that Jesus is the answer and here is the real thing you long for? And so the second thing I wanna talk to you about that presents itself all through here is logic. I am a very logical person. Will anyone, any other logical people in here? I'm very logical. I love Excel spreadsheets. I love calculations. There are no abstract paintings in my house. If it is supposed to be a tree, you know it's a tree because it looks like a tree. It's a tree. There is no confusion going on. And she corrects him in verse 9. She corrects him and she responds with logic. Also, like so many people do, when you share your faith with them, they point out something that's very logical. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? They do that over and over. And I find myself also doing that with God. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And he tells her what she needs is living water. Living water. That's pretty illogical. What, is, what does that mean? Living water. And the people surrounding all of us that don't know God are filling their empty selves with dead things that hold no life and no power and no sustenance. And it is just like when God tells the prophet Jeremiah hundreds of years before this story, where he says, it's just like this in our world today, where he says, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They have honed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, empty cisterns that will hold no water. We all know it's true right? And so I think when you think about sharing our faith, when we, when you kind of even recognize this morning that that's what we were going to talk about, there was a lot of, but I can't do that, but I've heard this before, but this is not my personality, but I don't know if I'm really called to do this, but why do we have to always talk about this? There's a lot of buts when it comes to this scenario. And 
There's a lot of things that I would logically agree with you are absolutely true. And so maybe some of the reasons, the barriers that you don't share your faith or that we don't fully always engage in this type of thing is because this, the first one is this, but they don't care. And I would agree with you. That's very logical. They don't care. A lot of people are running around this earth and very few of them are asking existential questions about eternity, about what does God think about all of this? Where am I gonna spend my, my eternity with? They're not always asking that anymore, but they are asking other questions. How can I survive in this world that's gone mad? How can I thrive and feel alive when there is so much chaos going around me? And another question is, but they're too cynical. They're too cynical. That's very logical. I agree with you. There is a lot of cynicism running around this globe, but all the things that have happened in the past several years, all the things that have upheavaled every single person, no matter where you are across the globe's external circumstances. Have any of you had external circumstances that have had some upheaval in recent years? Yeah, they have too. And all the while it has produced internal angst. And so they are cynical, but they are searching and we have the answer. You say, but they won't listen to me. But they won't listen to me. Are you sure about that? Are you really sure about that? Because Jesus isn't surprised. He gives us three sequential parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son. And he teaches us each one of these scenarios of they won't listen. The first one is this, the lost coin. The lost coin didn't even know it was lost but it, he, it was found anyways. And oh, a great treasure that it was when it was found. There's a lot of people that you're gonna share your faith with who are confused because they don't even know they are lost, but he tells us to share our faith with them anyways. There's the lost sheep who knew that it was lost and had no idea how to get back to the shepherd. There's a lot of people who know internally that there is something wrong. There has to be more to live on this earth than what I'm living for right now. There is something that is not right inside that I need. So they're lost, but they need to know how to get back. And then there's the prodigal son who knew the father, knew how to get back, just hadn't realized the depth of his sin yet. And that is why Jesus calls us to be light so we can show them that they're lost, show them the way back, and show them the reality of their sin. And that is why, speaking of water, he calls us to be salt so that we can be seasoned and salty to reveal the thirst for living water in them. And so there's no barriers for them. There's no barriers, but maybe the real barrier is us. Maybe the real barrier is this. You say, if I share my faith, I will look crazy. And logically, I will tell you, you will look crazy only if you act like it. That's it, okay? That's it. Just don't act crazy. Another question would be, well, I don't have the answers, but I don't have the answers. And I will say, no, 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 no. Our entire society has been training for this moment because we have all spent time practicing things. I want every single time you drive past this week, a baseball field, a football field, a soccer field, for you to then look at the parents sweating, getting sunburnt, going all in on little Johnny and little Annie getting a scholarship one day when we know in our air conditioner cars, at least I'm thinking, that I just need to take my kids to the library. Maybe that's how they'll get a scholarship. I'm going all in on that plan. I want you to, when you 
think that and when you see that to think, who am I practicing sharing my faith with? Because we are trained to do this. And so in high school, I came to know Christ when I was 15, about 15 years old. And I was being discipled really intently, actually. I encourage you, if you're new in your faith, find someone to disciple you very intently. Again, I was always a very logical person. And so as I was being discipled over several years, there came a place my senior year where I was like, I want to know that I know that I know that I'm supposed to do this, that I'm not supposed to do that, that God wants me to do this. I want to hear his voice. I want to know. And the people that were helping train me and disciple me were saying, Rachel, you got to practice practice. You're going to have to read your word and pray and be, and be quiet. Slow down. It was a theme in my life then too. Slow down and, and just slow down and, and listen to what he's going to say. And you're going to have to practice. And so my senior year, I'm leaving school one day. I'm walking past the swimming pool near the gymnasium. I'm on my way to work and I, after school and I stop because this overwhelming voice inside of me that I never really heard before, this overwhelming thing said, stop turn around and go talk to him. And so I stopped, I turned around and I looked and I saw this, this kid I knew, he was an underclassman. I knew his name. I didn't really know him. I'd never talked to him before. I think he was a cousin of someone in my class. I kind of knew that context and he was kind of slunched over on a bench. And I knew that what it meant, what the voice was telling me to do, to go talk to him meant go tell him about me. And I thought, I don't think that's God. I, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't think so. And I kept going and I went to work. The next Monday rolls around. I'm sitting in homeroom again, senior year. This is in Indiana, right down the road from Possum Ridge. True story. And my principal gets on the intercom like he does every single morning. Good morning, South Dearborn High School. And he says in a somber kind of voice that that kid's name, he died over the weekend. And I sat there and I heard the voice again, ever so gently, because our God is so gentle. And he said, Rachel, that was me. And I heard it again. And I said, I will never ignore a prompt like that again because he's thirsty for the souls of men despite me feeling inconvenienced. And so Jesus is reminding us in this story that the thing that we need is the thing that we are made of. The thing that we need is the thing that we're made of. One of our most vital needs is water, okay? I know we don't have a lot of needs going on right now like that because you probably have water and shelter and clothing. Hopefully no one's naked in here. That would be weird. But hopefully you have those, four basic, those three basic things. One of our most vital needs is water. And Jesus speaks to and meets her at a vital need at a well where she just needed water. It is also true that in this room, depending on if you're male or female, that we all together are comprised of about 60% water. So what we need to survive, water, is something that we are largely made up of, water. It is also true that every human being on the planet is made in the image of God. And what they need is the thing that they're made of. What they really need is the thing they're made of. Do not 
forget that the separation caused by human sin between us and God was completely filled by Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his perfect life, his resurrection, that has been completely filled. And do not underestimate the God-sized emptiness where they really do have a need. It's him, the thing that they were made in the image of. Don't underestimate. And do not underestimate that if you believe in Christ, if you follow Jesus, that you have the power living inside of you that resurrected from the dead, for it is living inside of you, is what the scriptures tell us. You see, but her logic presents itself too, and I don't want to skip this. She looks at him and she says, you don't have a bucket. Very logical. That's probably what I would say. What are you talking about? Living water. You don't have a bucket. You have nothing to draw with. You know, that's just how my mind works. She has nothing to draw with. And all the while, he is going to show her that she is the bucket, that she is the thing that he's going to fill. And then she is going to go back and to tell people about living water and to tell him, come see a man who told me everything I ever did and lead them back with her. All the times that we say we cannot share our faith or here's all the barriers to why I don't. He is saying, you're saying, God, you need to lessen this per person's sin first before I think it's acceptable. You need to do this in this situation. You need to solve this problem. He is reminding us again that we are the bucket. We are the solution. You really do have what it takes to change someone's life through sharing the gospel message. And it's something that can't get old to us. And the third thing I want to reveal is this is the longing. You see, he tells her he has water that will give her eternal life. And she tells him, give it to me so I won't have to come here and draw from this well that only temporarily quenches my thirst. You see, there are people, remember, she's at a well. She's just there to get water. She meets him living water, the thing her soul was really longing for. And there are people that have tangible needs that just need to be met. There are people, coworkers, that are struggling with a newborn at home or having a problem in their marriage or having questions about how to deal with a, a, a disobedient child that have questions about how they're, they're caring for now their parents and they're really burdened by that. They have tangible needs that we can meet for them. And it opens up an opportunity to share the gospel because few people are actually doing those things for other people right now. Have you guys noticed that? As the world has went upheaval, we've all gotten really inwardly focused. And so what an opportunity to meet a tangible need. Here, you need water? I'll give you water. You need this? I can do this, meet this need. And all the while, a real opportunity to meet someone's deepest longing. There's also people that just have deepest longings, right? We all do. And he walks in and speaks to her deepest longing, the thing that he knows about her, which is revealed in this story. He says, go and get your husband. And she says, I don't have one. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the one you're with now is not your husband. It's not your husband because he knows. He knows. 
He knows every bit, every ounce of your story and mine and all the people around us. He knows all the ways we are trying to counterfeitly fill ourselves with empty things. And he will always speak right to the thing that we are trying to meet a need by that only he can fill. That's why it's sometimes kind of irritating when you feel like something in your life that God's bringing up because he knows he's not fooled and he's always going to be real with us. He's going to speak to the deepest longing that we have because he knows it has nothing to do with her physical circumstances. But those are just a byproduct of what's happening on the inside. And every single time someone in my life brings up a problem, brings up something that is messy, brings up something that is just awful, a scenario, something happening to them, something they're a part of, I look at it and I say, it's so time. It's so time right here because this is a problem that I know the answer to. This is something that then I can feel. It's an opportunity because he knows. So everything, even now, think about people you know in your life with real life problems, with real life scenarios, with real life needs that you can meet and realize that he can fill you to fill them. That that's what he does because he knows. We have to stop trying to change people to an acceptable level of where we feel comfortable then that they can hear the word of God and, and, and we can really share with them because that's nowhere in here. She has no context for what he's talking to her about. She's talking about living water. She has no idea. And we have to stop trying to change people because only he knows who they really are. And every single time that you sow a seed, you plant, you water in someone else's life, because I know that you do. Whenever that happens, you need to realize one thing, that only God can see the thoughts and the intents of the human heart. Only he knows what is going on and taking root by every single one of those things you do. And he's the one that's responsible for it. He's the one that can see it. And he knows. So we plant and we sow and we water anyways, because remember the power has nothing to do with us. The power is in the gospel. It is in the things sown in someone else's life. And that is the thing that he unlocks and changes and shapes below the surface because he knows. Two Fridays ago, two Fridays ago, I was uh, getting ready for my work day. I was at work already, kind of getting, um, looking through charts and labs and things that are boring to you probably. But I was spending time, it was about 5.30 a.m. I really want you to know that because I was not caffeinated yet. And caffeine also includes water, which was one of my vital needs to survival. And I think that is very important to this story. But it was two Fridays ago and I was really tired, just kind of getting ready for my day, right? And someone wheels up, I see like a roller chair kind of sound, comes up next to me. And it's this guy I've worked with for about five years. And I've seen him walk through different phases of life. He's had about two kids since I've known him. Um, we've had some shared experiences, obviously, at work. He knows I've shared my faith with him before, a while ago, actually. And I, um, he knows I'm a Christian. He, he gets it. He understands. But um, he came over and he, he looks at me and he says, hey, I have to tell you something. This is, I feel really awkward. I, I really got to talk to you. And I thought, honestly, if something happened with the patient, I was like, come on, let's rip the Band-Aid. What do I got to go do, you know? Like, is someone dying? Like, what? come on. But he, he was kind of slow. And I just said, what's up? And he said, he said, my wife and I decided to become Christians. We decided. And what do they say? We're going to, um, what do you kind of say? We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to go all in on that. That's how he words it to me. And he goes, and now I need you to tell me what to do. What do we do? And I thought, here we go. And so 
I talked to him and, and we talked about, okay, do you have a Bible? Do you have the Bible app? Where, are you going to church? What about this? What about that? And I honestly asked him a lot of questions. How did, how did this happen? What do you think this means? How did you get here? What's going on in your life where you guys came to this decision or this realization? You know, Because I really wanted to know because I find it so interesting because I can't see what's happening under the ground. And I wanted to know what was God doing? What was he doing? And it was, it was a really great opportunity and it was, it was really fun. But you might say, I've served Christ for a long time and I feel empty like her. And he, he knows, he knows that you do. And he gives us the answer again in this story because every single thing in our Bibles the preserved written word of God as the biggest, one of the biggest gifts to us on this planet is important. And he gives us the answer that we already read in verse 21, where he tells her that his true worshipers worship him in his spirit and in truth. And the way to stay engaged with your faith, we hit it here at this church like a broken record. The way to stay with your thirst quenched, with living water welling up inside of you over and over and over again is the fact that you have to stay in step with his spirit. You have to be in his word. You have to be in relationship, doing life with him, including him, thinking, praying, God, what, are you, what could you be doing? How could I serve you today? What are you saying and, and rooted and established in his truth in a world that uses truth like a river. We have a rock, a foundation, the truth of Jesus Christ, and it's in his written word. And so God is reminding us this, that we have to stir up the foundations of our faith this morning. Just as innocent as this guy a couple weeks ago was coming to me, now what do I do? What do I do? Just as innocent as that was, I was almost jealous in the moment of how fresh his faith was. And God is asking us and reminding us this morning to stir up the foundation of our faith, the gospel, the good news, that Jesus came, led a perfect life, that he died our sinful death, that he was buried, that he resurrected, and then he ascended into heaven. Why? Because his spirit then, Acts 2, 7, it says, speaking of water, his spirit was poured out into the hearts of every man and every woman, including us, and so that he did not have to be limited in a human form in one place in time at one part of the world. No longer do we have to go get him to come to Jairus's house and other places because now now he is in us, and now we are all carriers of his presence, carriers of living water. That's the whole gospel message, and it produces living water. Eternal thirst is being quenched in people, not only so that we can have eternal life one day. Oh my goodness, that is an insane gift, completely illogical, by the way. Not only for that, but so that we can have abundant life right now. And in him, our spirit, his spirit that's inside of us produces in us fruit. What is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faith, humility, and self-control. You say, oh, that's so cute. We teach kids that. No, 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 no. It's not cute. It's powerful because that is what people are asking. Those fruits of the spirits are the questions that they are asking. They're saying, where is love? Who will love me? And all the while we're carrying around love himself. I say, I know love. 
I know love. I know where it comes from. I have it. Please ask me about who will love you. You say, where is goodness? Is there anything good in this world anymore? Have you heard anyone say that? You say, no, 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 no. I know a good God, the good God. I know where every good and perfect gift comes from. I know it and I do good works because I'm one of his followers. Come on, I can show you goodness. Where is peace? Listen, I am so tired of my coworkers talking about how they're dependent on the Calm app to go to sleep. Like I am sick of it. I'm going to go to HR because I'm just going to lose it one day. And when I all the way around am knowing Jesus, peace himself and carrying it right here because we have the answer. Maybe they're going to ask you something crazy and you need to link it back to the fruit of the spirit. A month ago, one of my coworkers came to me and said, how do you know your husband's never going to cheat on you? Oh, that's a really loaded question. Okay, but let me tell you this. What she's really asking is about faithfulness. And I can tell you about someone who is faithful and noble and true beyond any human person. The faithfulness that never runs out on you and I. And that's what I told her. She thought, I don't know what you're saying. And I said, that's okay. I'm planting a seed and I'm watering something that maybe was in you. And I have no idea what was going on beneath it, but only God knows. And people are asking They're internally longing. They're asking a lot of questions and we have to answer the right ones. And it's usually always linked to the fruit of the spirit. And so maybe you like her, you know that Jesus is coming and you say, yeah, I know the Messiah is coming. Sometime out there, he's gonna explain all of my purpose to me. And please don't leave this place by understanding that sharing our faith is not a spiritual gift that only some have. It is a calling to go and tell that every single one of us have. It is the core foundation of our faith. So you think, what can I do for God? What is my purpose? Learn how to and practice showing and sharing your faith. That's it. And then the fourth thing I want to highlight, the last thing is this is the response. Because there's a lot of responses to what's happening here in this scenario with Jesus. And the first one is this, the response of the disciples. You see, they came back and were surprised. That's what it says, surprised that he was talking with her. And I wonder if you go on a wild adventure and have crazy conversations like I do. Don't act crazy, but you can have crazy conversations. Like It's so fun. I wonder if you do that over the months to come in this summer. And I wonder if you do that, then who would be surprised at you that you're investing in them, that you're talking to them? Who in your family could be surprised because you're staying after late at a restaurant or over at work or you're doing something crazy for someone that is overflowing with generosity because you're trying to show and share your faith? Who could be surprised at you? You see, they didn't understand, the disciples didn't, that he had to go to Samaria, that the whole reason that he had to go there was to meet her, to encounter her, so that she would go unlock that whole region of, know, of people that were in Samaria to know him, to, to put himself in that area. And they didn't realize, how do I know that? Because it includes that they, the disciples went to go get food. And I thought, why is that included? Like it's parentheses. Why is that included? They went to go get food. Maybe it's just to illustrate that he's alone. And then, and then it was this. It was that he's reminding us through his written word that we can never be temporarily satisfied with the things that we think are gonna sustain us. But in our faith and in our hearts, we can only understand and care about the things he cares about, which was that woman at the well. That was the whole reason of where he was. They went to get food. He went to her. And later on, he tells them, we didn't have time to read it, but later on, read it. It says, he tells the disciples, open your eyes, look 
to the fields. They are ripe with harvest. Why does he include that? Because he knows that if any of us, including the disciples, that if the enemy can distract us from seeing the harvest, then he can also keep us from reaping it. And we have to open our eyes and understand that the real sustaining force of our faith, the real thing, living water that can fill us is living and active in us. And that we have to share and show our faith, because it's the thing that he cares about, the souls of human men. It's always calling over convenience. It's always a whole harvest over just the one meal that the disciples were concerned about. He was harvest-minded, and that's what we have to be. We have to think, is this something temporary that's going to sustain me, or is the purpose of my life to invest in this person for a greater reason? And then there was the response of the Samaritan woman. She leaves her jar. I love that it includes that. Why? Because she didn't need it anymore. She was filled. She leaves her jar. She goes and tells the town, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. And I find it really interesting that it never includes that he really did that. But he did speak to the one thing that linked all of her sin together, her emptiness. And he speaks right to that. And people do not need us to tell them everything they ever do or will do that is wrong. They need us to fill them with Jesus himself. And he will do that himself. And so there was the response of the town. It says the town, they all, they all come to him. And the first mass revival in the New Testament shows up right here. This is it. We pray a lot for revival and we are revival minded, but this is it. The first one where Jesus encounters an unlikely person with an unlikely story in an unlikely conflict. And that is every single one of us today. We are in an unlikely conflict where it can look like the odds are stacked against us, against us of where we can't share because of this reason or where we can't go because of that or because all the barriers that are there and Jesus walks right in anyways. And then he imparts in her the unlocking to Samaria. And that is an unlikely conflict. And he sends us anyways. He sends us anyways. We are also an unlikely people. I don't know about you, but I am a very imperfect person. And we have a God who we are all unlikely people who went all in on us, an imperfect people, a completely illogical plan that said, then you are going to be then carriers of my presence. The imperfect people are going to represent a perfect God. And you are going to invade the globe and take me with you because I'm no longer locked in human form in one place at one part of time, but my spirit has come so that you can be carriers of my presence, living water all around the globe. You see 40 times, around 85% or so for the calculators in here, I did the calculation, about 85% so, so in the New Testament, when Jesus encounters someone at this level, like he did with her, someone brought Jesus to the person or someone brought the person to Jesus. There was always a connecting link. And the Samaritan woman is the connecting link between Jesus and the town. That's what you are. You are the connecting link between Jesus and all the people, even the ones you wonder, why are they in my life? All those people too. All of the people that are with you, you're the connecting link. Why? 
Why? Because we only ever mimic Christ. And he is the connecting link between us and God. That his, sin, his death that he took on our sin is the thing that then puts him in front of the Father right now. When God looks at us who know him, he no longer sees our sin. He only sees a perfect savior. In fact, he doesn't just see that we've never done anything that is wrong, but it's called justification. He sees a perfect gift that we've received where when he looks on us, he also sees the perfection of Jesus. So all the things that you've never gotten right, all the times you've maybe spilled your marbles, all the times that those things have happened, God still looks at you in perfection because Jesus is the connecting link between us and God. And that can never get old. It can never get old. You see, um, this might sound crazy. <laughs> I hope I don't act like it. This might sound crazy, but there are six days until we meet again here, six days. And I wanna challenge you with something very real, that in six days, I want you to tangibly share your faith or show your faith or both, hopefully, with six people. Six days, six people. There's one action step to this message. It cannot be something that we just hear. The messages cannot be something that we just listen to and hear. They're only ever meant to be lived out there. And so six times can we share our faith this week. I wanna leave you with this final thought. Uh, my small, or a small group I was a part of in this past semester, we got a hold of this word, the meaning of evangelism. And so I don't know what pops in your mind, but we all wanted to like run around the room when we realized just the amazing uh, part of what Jesus was showing us by this word. And so the word evangelism, I don't know what pops in your head when you think that, but just go with me for a second here. I like uh, Pride and Prejudice. I like Sense Sensibility. I like Little Women. I like all those things. Um, but if you give me a horse and blue paint and tell me to paint my face like Mel Gibson, if you do that, I will ride around on a horse any day, like, just like that. And so I want you to think about the word evangelism. Go Mel Gibson with me for a second and think about a wartime derivative because the word evangelism comes from this ancient battle term that means this, when a king was fighting and when a king was fighting in an area with other soldiers in one area and then maybe there were other areas around where his soldiers were fighting other enemies and conquering other regions all around, when the king was fighting and the king won in this area, when he won this part of the war, he would send someone, a messenger, a soldier, to be an evangel, to evangelize. And that person would go to all the areas that the battle was still taking place, and he would go and say, stop fighting. The king has won. Put your weapons down. Stop fighting. The king has won. And that is what he calls every single one of us to do, that we being carriers of his presence can say, stop fighting. The war is over. He's already won. You don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to wonder why God made you or even if there is a God. I'll show you there is. You can stop fighting. You can have a great marriage. You can have someone who knows you better than anyone on this planet knows you. You can have someone that leads you in gentleness, doesn't abuse you. You can know him. You can know what unconditional love is like. Stop fighting. Put your weapons down. And so even today, I'm not going to assume that we all know God. And so with every eye closed and every head 
about. I want to invite you, if you came here today and you are waiting for some sort of message, you're waiting for some sort of sign to say, God, I want to say yes to you. I feel like maybe I am going to be like her coworker says, okay, now what do I do? I'm going to tell you. If you want to give your life and say, I'll follow him today, I want you to raise your hand. Just shoot it up in the air real quick at me. Amen. Amen. And God sees you. And so let's pray this prayer with me. God, I believe that you are my savior. I believe that you led a perfect life. I believe that you died, that you were buried and you resurrected to give me eternal life and to give me abundant life. And so Holy Spirit, would you fill these people this morning? Would you fill them with living water, the well that never runs dry? Would you take away every stagnant, dead thing in their life and begin to reveal it and replace it with your life that you're speaking inside of them? Would you do that in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Can we clap for the people that made that decision this morning? And why don't we go ahead and stand up? You can stand up with me this morning. Thank you. And if I gave you a six-day action plan, okay, and some of you don't dismiss it, before your logic sets in and says, I'm never going to do that, I want you to know that you're the key to unlocking someone else's longing and that you have what it takes. And so all across this room, if you want to be uh, prayed for to share your faith, I want you just to stretch out your hands and we'll do just that this morning. We say, God, would you impart in us the holy desire, eliminate distraction for us to care about the thing that you care about, which is the souls of men, that we would be focused on our calling as Christians over convenience, that we would be focused on an entire harvest over just one meal that temporarily sustains us. Would you embolden us through the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to practice? Would you help us to have the words to say? Would you bring problems with people in our life so that we can solve them? Would you bring things to us that we have the answer for that we're carrying around? And would you help us to pour it out in Jesus' name and all of Radiant Church said, amen. Amen.